0: Um, but uh, it looked a little chilly, so we decided uh, that, well, we didn't think that you wanted to sit outside for two and a half hours listening to me preach, so um, we brought you inside. Um, Anyway, uh, so open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. If you're not already there, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 23, Genesis 23, and this chapter um, is covering uh, really really the big thing that happens in this chapter is the death of Now, the death of Sarah is a huge event in the life of Abraham, but the death of Sarah is not what Genesis chapter 23 is about. Okay, so remember, we have, uh, as we've gone through the life of Abraham, we've seen some pretty incredible things take place. We've seen Abraham uh, obey in mighty ways, um, and we've also seen him fail. Uh, We've seen Abraham um, really demonstrate his faith, for example, when he came and he was obedient to the point where he was going to sacrifice Isaac and then put him on uh, the the altar as a burnt offering. Uh, But we've also seen Abraham fail miserably, like when he was going to give Sarah away to Pharaoh, and then when he did it again, when he gave Sarah away to Abimelech, um, Abraham failed miserably. Uh, he treated Sarah miserably in those, specifically those two circumstances. Um, but Abraham was, um, although he is, um, although he's recorded in Scripture as being the father of the faithful, the Scripture does not hide his failures nor his sins. That's one of the beauties of Scripture, as it, it, how honest it is to, um, to some of the heroes of our faith. Okay? What we see here is that Abraham will receive a small parcel of land, and that parcel of land serves as a pledge, kind of a down payment for the full return that God has promised to him. God has promised to him that the land of the Canaanites will be his and his descendants, and that through his descendants he will uh, be a blessing to the world, and uh, he'll have more descendants than there, are. there is sand on a seashore, or stars in the sky, and so God has made these incredible promises to Abraham. And what we see in Genesis chapter 23, while it's, well, uh, it's dominated by the death of Sarah, what we see is that Abraham is acting in faith again by ensuring that Sarah is buried in the land of Canaan. Okay, so Sarah um, is his, obviously his wife. Um, she dies in really Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of Sarah. These are the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died. That's verse two. So in the first two verses, Sarah dies. But did you know that up to this point, Abraham owns no land whatsoever? Abraham is a very uh, wealthy person. He has, uh, he has livestock and he has servants. Uh, he has a lot but he does not have land, okay? And so when Sarah dies, Abraham has nowhere to bury her. He cannot take her out, you know, and and bury her up up on the hill that that he owns by his house. In fact, at this point, Abraham and Sarah really have had had no home. And, And so it's only after her death that he would own Any land whatsoever, and that land that he does come to own is simply a field. And that field is purchased just to bury his dead. So Abraham had journeyed the whole course of his life and owned no land. And up to this point, he just ends up buying a small parcel in the land of promise. But that parcel was a pledge of the hope to come. And that's the point of the chapter. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather together and, and to sing to you. Uh, God, we, we thank you so much that, that you have called us to do that as the body of Christ. We thank you that we get to open up your word and, and we get to see how you have revealed yourself to us and, and you, we, we can study your word so that we can be transformed and sanctified. God, we thank you so much Uh, that we can trust the scriptures. We know that they're true, they're reliable. We thank you uh, that we can believe your promises because you are faithful. God, we pray that this morning we would not be distracted by the things of this world. God, that, that as we walk into the room and it's set up differently, that that wouldn't throw us off from worshiping you. Father, you are wonderful. We worship you because you're worthy of it. We love you because you first loved us. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you together as the body of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Over and over in this chapter, it's stressed that Sarah died in the land of Canaan, that she was buried in the land of Canaan, and that Abraham uh, got this this, uh, field. He, He bought this field with the cave. He bought it from the Hittites in the land of Canaan. It is very specific that this occurs in the land of Canaan. And so, I'm going to break the chapter down into five parts. First, uh, look at the first two verses. You see the description of the death of Sarah. Uh, Immediately after that, Abraham uh, has finished his his mourning, and uh, he uh, arises in verses 3 through 6. Then we come to the second section where he approaches the elders of the city and asks them to sell him a place where he can bury his dead. Then in verses 7 through 11, after he has first made the request, the elders uh, of the city have responded with their own basically counter offer And Abraham very politely and respectfully approaches the elders of the city, makes a specific offer for a specific place in a specific field owned by a specific man. Okay, he, he tells them exactly what he wants to buy, All right? So uh, then the third section, 7 to 11, Uh, that the request is, again, substituted. Uh, There's a counteroffer made. And then uh, the fourth section is in verses 12 to 16. There, Abraham eventually agrees to pay an outrageous price for this field, which was owned by Ephron the Hittite. And then finally, in verses 17 through 20, it's recounted that Abraham is now a landowner in the land of Canaan. What does he own he does not own, you know, a huge, uh, you know, property. He owns a burial plot, right? That's it. That, that's what this man owns. Now, let's jump in. Let's, let's uh, walk through it. Uh, first, looking at the death of Sarah in verses 1 and 2, All right, The story of Sarah's death is recorded just in the very first two verses of this chapter, right? Now, remember what happened in the chapter before. Remember in in Genesis chapter 22, God calls Abraham and he he tells Abraham, he says, uh, you know, take a a three-day journey and I I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son, the one that you love, take him with you to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And Abraham obeys. Abraham walks three days with Isaac and he takes him up, uh, up the mountain and he plans to sacrifice him there to the point where he raises the knife while Isaac is on the altar and God intervenes and provides a substitute, right? And then God has reinstituted the promise. And so uh, what we have here is God uh, confirming his promise and then providing uh, also Rebecca as a wife. And so Sarah's at the end of her life at that point. And then in 23, Sarah lived 127 years. 127 years. Sarah dies in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise. This chapter is a huge illustration. It's a huge illustration of the truth that you'll find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All of these, they died in faith without receiving the promise. Abraham, in this case, Sarah has not seen the completion of the promise. She, I'm not even close. But she's, she's welcomed it from a distance haven't confessed that they were strangers and exiles. I mean, she's sojourned with her husband, Abraham. She's moved. She's traveled. She's been a nomad for years, about 60 years at this point. We feel for Abraham and Sarah. It's easy to. They're a long time without ever landing in their own homestead. They have no place to call home. There's no place that is theirs. This entire time, they're living as immigrants, basically. I want to remind you, by the way, that the old name mentioned here for Hebron reminds us of the presence of the Hittites. The sons of Heth in this passage are related to the Hittites. So what we're being told is that our father, our father of the faith, Abraham, bought his first plot of land in the land of Canaan from the Hittites themselves, specifically the Hittites. All right, that, that's important for the, the larger narrative of the Old Testament. But Sarah here, we're told, lived to be 127 years old. That would mean that Isaac was 36 or 37. God was gracious to allow her to see her son, the son of promise, grow to manhood. Now Remember, Isaac is Sarah's only son. Abraham had Ishmael, and that was with Hagar. That was kind of a different situation. But Sarah had Isaac, and only Isaac. God allowed her to see Isaac, the son of promise, grow to manhood. She she got to see him grow up. She got to see him basically become who he would be. She could see with her own eyes Isaac as a man. And I I want to mention also that Sarah is the only woman in the entire Bible whose death and age at death is recorded in the Scriptures. No, no other woman in all of the scriptures uh, is it recorded in this way. That shows us that the scriptures value her. That it shows us her importance. She's, you could almost call her the matriarch of our faith. We, we, can't, we can't imagine the impact of Sarah's death on Abraham. Now, again, Abraham, Abraham had his failures as a husband, He's sojourned with her. They've, they've wandered together for over 60 years at this point. And they have been married for about 100. Think about that. 100 years of marriage. That's incredible. It really is. Right? It's interesting, too. The Bible never tells us to follow, for example, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right? It never tells us to, to, to follow what Mary did. But twice, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, we're told to follow the example of Sarah. Let, let, me, let me show you. Jump over to Isaiah chapter 51. 51 verses 1 and 2. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was... Bo- for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So here, the children of Israel are called to look back to Abraham and Sarah, the rock from which, where they came, right? Then if you jump over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Peter says this to Christians, but especially to Christian women. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold, Uh, of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." That's an incredible description of Sarah's submission in hard times to Abraham. Remember, Abraham was, was not necessarily an easy person to follow. Not, not, again, I, I keep going back to how he didn't always treat her well, but also just, just following him as, as he was being obedient in his faith. Can you imagine? You know, they're married and, and they're back in their home. And Abraham says, I met God, and he's called me to leave this place. He's called me to leave our home and go to the land of Canaan. And I don't really know what's going to happen there, but I know we're going to have a bunch of kids. Can you imagine how hard that would have been for Sarah to leave her home and go with her husband? Or can you imagine how hard it would have been at the end of Genesis chapter 22 when when Abraham and Isaac come back from their six-day journey, and Abraham tells her, I almost sacrificed Isaac this week. I almost burnt him on an altar, right? That would have been pretty difficult, right? It, it would have been difficult when, when Abraham was leaving their home, he entered into a covenant with Sarah that if they entered into a place where the people weren't friendly, that Sarah would agree to claim to be Abraham's sister. And that happened at least twice because we see Abraham trying to give Sarah to Pharaoh and then later give Sarah to Abimelech, right? To, to basically put Sarah into the harem of a king, to protect his own hide. That would have been difficult for Sarah to accept. It would have been, it was difficult for Sarah to accept when Ishmael was born, and the conflict that happened because of that. I'm not saying that Abraham wasn't an incredibly faithful person. What I am saying is that Sarah submitted, and she loved her husband, and she followed him, even when it would have been easier not to, probably, right? He put her through a lot, okay? And, and, Of course, Sarah's death provides another opportunity for Abraham to show his faith in the promise. Abraham does not waver in this. And so uh, he's going to, after her death, he's going to set out to buy a plot plot of land as a burial in the land of Canaan, showing that he trusted that God would one day give his descendants the land. Abraham is not buying this, this burial plot in Canaan Uh, just, just to have a burial plot. What he's doing is he's saying, I I want, I want her to be buried there. I want to be buried there. I want my descendants to be buried here because I know that God is going to give this to my people. I know that God is going to come through on his promise. And so we'll be buried here. This will be our plot for burial. So then we continue three to six. Abraham uh, goes to the Hittites, okay? And he asks them basically to purchase a grave, they respond by offering to share a grave with him, right? They're going to give him a grave free of charge. So essentially, Abraham goes, and, and uh, he goes to the elder of the town, and he says, uh, you know, I'd like to buy some land for a burial. I need to bury my wife and just need to bury a plot for my family. And they say, look, you don't need to buy anything from us. We'll give you one. And he, he's speaking very politely The local kind of political leaders about the purchase of a site, and he acknowledges. If you'll notice in verse four, he acknowledges himself to be a stranger. Right, that's a legal term. That's not saying like he's not just saying. You know, I know we don't know each other very well. He's. It's a legal term. In other words, he's saying I acknowledge that I'm an immigrant, that I'm a nomad. I acknowledge that, that I'm not from here. I'm not of your people. I acknowledge that I don't have the same rights as, as your people would. He's saying, will you do me the favor of selling me a burial plot? Right? As, as, a, as, an, as a nomad, he doesn't have the right to buy land. And so he's, he's coming in and he's saying, Can I? Will you do me the favor of selling me the land? And so, you know, um, he, he's kind of living in this area, but he's, he's still an alien. There's this, it's important too that at the end of his life, at the end of Abraham's life, he would still be known as a stranger as a resident alien, as a nomad in, in where he lived. And so Abraham approaches the city elders, and he requests to purchase this place, and they offer very kindly uh, to share one of their own plots. These are wealthy guys. They say, you know what, Abraham, just, just go ahead and, and take one of ours. But this isn't just kindness, and, and it's important you understand that. This is not these guys saying, Abraham, you're a great guy. Let us help you out in your time of mourning. This is a political move. Underneath that offer, the offer of the Hittites, we have to understand that they desire that Abraham would not gain a permanent foothold in their land. Abraham is very wealthy, so they want him around as an ally. Abraham is very wealthy, so they want him to owe them a favor. But they do not want Abraham to be a landowner, because then he has rights. Okay? So... You see, once again, um, he's a, a landowner. Then, then uh, if, if he had purchased the land, he'd have certain rights under their, their law. And they would, they would have preferred that Abraham stay landless. Also, Abraham wants to ensure that he can purchase the land so that it stays in his family forever. He does not want to be given land only so that the grandsons of these Hittites come back and say, no, 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 we want that land back. You see what's going on here? So now we're in the offer, verses 7 through 11. Abraham persists in his quest for a grave, and uh, he comes out, and he suggests, um, he suggests a cave, and Ephron, the, the Hittite, offers him this field. And Abraham in verse 7, again, very politely, he bows down before the elders of the city, and he revisits his request. But this time, instead of just coming up and saying, you know, I'd like to buy some land for a burial, this time he makes a specific suggestion of a place, and he mentions the owner by name. Now, this is good strategy on Abraham's part. He knew that by speaking in general to the group, he might not receive as warm of a reply or response to his request as if he identified the one specific person in the specific place where he wanted to buy. And so he mentions the name of the person who who he wants to buy from, and he offers the full price. But he says explicitly that all he wants is the cave. So he's saying, look, I'll buy the whole field. I'll buy the whole parcel. I'll buy it all for, for, for the right price. But all I want is the cave. All I want is a burial place for my family. My wife has just passed, and I need a place to bury her. All he wants is the cave. By the way, if Abraham had been able to, to buy simply just the cave under Hittite law, he would have had no right of obligation to the Hittite king in that area. So Ephron makes it really, a it seems like a generous offer. He begins by saying, no, Abraham, you don't need to buy the cave. Don't buy the cave. I'll give you the whole field. Take it. I'll I'll give you the whole field. This is an insincere offer. This was the beginning of a bargaining process that's going on between Abraham and and uh, Ephraim, the, uh, the Hittite here, all right? This is the, the beginning of the bargaining process. Uh, uh, so it's, it's they're kind of maneuvering to buy and sell the field. By mentioning the field, Ephron is basically asking Abraham to give him a price. He's basically saying, oh, what are you going to pay, Abraham? Or what are you going to pay, Abraham? What, what's it worth to you? What, are you? what are you willing to pay to buy the whole thing? So in verse 12 to 16, after the haggling process, Abraham finally becomes a landowner in the land of Canaan, and he agrees to pay an outrageous price to this man to buy the field. He refuses to allow the offer of Ephron to stand, assuming it to even if it were sincere. Even if Abraham had accepted Ephron's offer, once Ephron was dead, his children could again come back under Hittite law and demanded the return of the land because it was given to Abraham for free. And so Abraham wanted to make sure that the land was secured for him and his descendants. So he agrees to pay uh, just this crazy price for the field, and then immediately the Hittite takes advantage of the weakness of Abraham's position. He knows Abraham needs the land. He knows that Abraham really doesn't have a choice. And so he says to him, "My lord, listen to me, a a price of land worth, say, 400 shekels. What, What is that between two men like us, right? In other words, he's saying, look, we're rich men. We're wealthy guys. We're friendly. We, we, we want to have a good relationship here. We're both wealthy. What's 400 shekels? Let's say, you know, what is that, right? So that's the, the introductory price that Ephron releases. Now, Jeremiah buys a field in Israel uh, uh, quite a few years later, 1,500 years later, for 17 shekels, just Imagine that in comparison, right, right. Seventeen shekels. Uh, Jeremiah buys a field, uh, but Abraham pays four hundred here, just to give you a rough idea of the price that Abraham is paying. It's a huge price for this field, and of course, Ephron expected Abraham to counteroffer, to haggle with him. But Abraham's response takes him by surprise. He, he agrees to Ephron's price so that none of the descendants of Ephron uh, can ever come back and say, look, you, you ripped my, you, you ripped Ephron off, right? He does it right there in front of all of the elders in the gate, and so everyone sees it, everyone knows it, right? No one can ever come back and say that Abraham took advantage of Ephron, took advantage of the Hittites. Abraham wants to be overly generous. He wants to pay absolutely the full price. So Abraham pays this huge price in order to secure the land, not just so that he can bury Sarah, but so that his descendants have a place to bury as well. And on the plot of land that he buys, the patriarchs are buried. He establishes ownership on this land in Canaan, this burial plot, right? So, as you look at verses 17 to 20, the details mentioned there, for instance, uh, the trees as an example, right? Um, how many trees are in the boundaries and the, and the details accompanying there? It's characteristic of a Hittite treaty of those days. It's typical. You know, they're, they're describing what went on, what was agreed to. So um, Derek Kinder says, uh, they all died in faith. The importance of this chapter lies in the obtaining of the grave. Sarah's death overshadows this chapter, but the point of this chapter is not to record Sarah's death. The point of this chapter is in the grave and and Abraham being so insistent on buying the burial plot in the land of Canaan. By leaving their bones in Canaan, the patriarchs gave their last witness to the promise. As Joseph's dying words make this clear, right? So Sarah's Sarah's burial in the land of Canaan is an important pledge of belief in the promises of God, right? Joseph, again, makes this clear. Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. Joseph did not want to be buried in Egypt. Joseph wanted to be buried in the land of Canaan because Joseph understood the promise Joseph understood that God had promised his his father Abraham uh, that that their descendants would rule that area. Joseph didn't want to be buried in Egypt, which, by the way, is where Joseph was most successful. Many people say if Joseph had been buried in Egypt, then the Pharaoh would not have eventually forgotten him, right? And that was a major problem for for the Israelites, wasn't it? Joseph didn't want to be left buried in Egypt. He wanted his bones brought back to the land of Canaan and buried with the patriarchs. And so Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob would all be buried in this cave and in this plot, the first foothold of ground owned by Abraham in the land of promise. It's a testimony to the certainty of Abraham's hope in the promise. Abraham was absolutely sure that that land would eventually become owned by his descendants. when he was silent and, and in the grave, and in this cave, it cried out, and death formed no obstacle to his hope in, in the possession of God's promises. And that, that's what Hebrews 11, verses nine and 10, and then verse 16, point us to. Jump over to, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 11, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This, this is a story... This is a story about persevering to the end, fighting the good fight, trusting in God and in his promises and waiting on him, even when the promise seems unfulfilled. As Abraham and Sarah entered into the the twilight of their lives, Abraham never wavered in believing the promise. And as he lost his wife of about 100 years, this incredible woman that he loved, As he lost her, he insisted that she be buried in the land of promise because he knew that God would fulfill his promise through the descendants. He knew that his descendants would one day occupy that land, and he wanted his family, he wanted the patriarchs to be buried there. Their faith never wavered at the end of their lives. It's incredible. I I pray that God would allow us to have the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you that uh, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are kind. We thank you, um, we thank you that, that we can trust your promises. We know that you will fulfill them. We thank you that you uh, you do what you say you're going to do. God, we thank you that through Christ we can be your daughter, your son. God, we know that we know that um, that our good works. Our morality, our behavior is not enough to make us right before you. But God, we know that that Christ's sacrifice at Calvary is more than enough. And God, you have promised that through Christ we can be transformed. Through Christ we can be an heir. Through Christ we we go from being a slave to sin to being your son and your daughter. God, it is wonderful. And we pray that we would believe you. We pray that, that our faith would be held up by you. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation. We thank you so much for the gift of faith. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.